1: Life, culture, and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision.
0: It's an opportunity today to check the pulse of the Christian church in the African nation of Uganda. Evangelism in Africa has been explosive, and sharing God and His power, passing on the flame from generation to generation, is bearing amazing fruit. Well, our special guest today, Pastor Peter Kasarivu, the founder of African Renewal Ministries in Gaba, near the capital Kampala on the banks of Lake Victoria. He's visiting Australia, sharing his wisdom on raising up leaders, having now planted over 700 churches all over Uganda and trained something like 2,700 leaders. He's also established schools, a significant orphan care program, and a Christian university. Pastor Peter Kazarivu, just off the plane from Africa, a special welcome along to you. Oh, thank you so very much, Neil. We are so excited to be here. Thank you. And I'll also make a special welcome here, too, to Pastor Stephen Sitimba. Hi, Stephen. Welcome along. Thank you, Neil. I like the way you pronounce my name.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so that was without practice and first go I got it right. Is that right? did well. It's well. yes, <laughs> done well. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and Stephen, we'll catch up with you in just a short while because you're leading the children's ministry of what's yes. happening. Yes. And with that many churches under your care... That itself is a huge, uh, wonderful ministry to be uh, leading. So we'll talk to you very shortly, uh, Pastor Peter. Though, well, welcome to you especially because uh, there was a choir. You have a choir as a part of That's your right. church. That's right. Uh, the Mangaza Children's Choir. They Definitely. were in Australia some years ago. Sure, sure. That 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 choir travelled around this country, and
3: it was a beautiful missionary outreach of our kids are visiting your churches and they they had a great, great time. Many of them are now big teenagers. They're in high school, most of them. They are doing very, very well. Thank you for
0: hosting us. And Uh, is this your first visit to Australia or have you been here before? uh, This should be my third visit to this country. Beautiful country for sure. Yeah. Right. And while you're here, I know you'll be visiting uh, various uh, states. Uh, You're heading from Queensland down to Tasmania and then back to Sydney and then to Adelaide. Uh, Are these places you've visited before? Is there already a following that you've got in some of these areas? Yeah, sure. Uh, I will
3: be going, we'll be going to some places I have not been, but for all those cities we've been, Our children's choir, of course, opened the way because they visited very, very many churches. So I did a follow-up trip about 2019, a follow-up trip to kind of visit the churches that actually hosted our kids. So this one is another follow-up visit to those
0: very churches
3: that actually
0: supported and
3: hosted our choir.
0: We're going to hear something of the story of the ministry that you've founded, but I wonder whether you can take us into your own personal story. How did you come to faith? How did you get to be a leader? How did you get to be the guy who plants (laughs) 700 churches?
3: First and foremost, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ saved me uh, when I was 19 years old, uh, finishing my high school. A friend of mine shared the gospel with me. I was... A sinner like everyone else, a young man pursuing uh, education. Uh, my dream was to become a medical doctor. Little did I know that when I accept Jesus, he had a different uh, call for me, and that call was to become a preacher. So I ended up going to Bible school, and then when I went back home after Bible school, I uh, worked with my home church as an outreach commun- uh, coordinator, It is during that season that God spoke to my heart to go to the current village where I am. It's
0: called Gaba on the shores of Lake Victoria. Yes, sir. So were you aware back in those early days Mm -hmm. when you'd come to Christ and uh, you'd decided that you would uh, pursue Bible college training, you felt a calling on your life to be a pastor, were you aware that what was happening in Africa was explosive by way of the growth of the church, evangelism. Uh, when we talk about sub-Saharan Africa these days, I mean, as I look at the statistics, mm-hmm. 500 million believers now in Africa across the continent. Yeah. Were you aware that the growth of the church was so significant at the time? Not not at that time. One is I
3: come from a, a very tiny little country, and my desire was to just please the Lord and the church where I was going to was a church which was on fire for God. So we were just zealous for God. Uh, We were so passionate about sharing our faith, but we didn't know so much about what was going on around Africa. It was later on as I grew and as I went into education, I started realizing the Lord is doing bigger things in Africa than in other places. So But at that time, I did not know. That's the way I would put it. But we're just on fire for God ready to see
0: God saving souls. And interesting, you say, uh, my little country, uh, you're talking about Uganda. Yes, uh, Well, I think Uganda's population is somewhere in the vicinity of 42 million, so uh, we compare that to our Australian <laughs> population. Actually, our population way, way, way shorter than that, 25 or so million here. Yeah. But it is a, a large population, as mm-hmm. you say, but in a smaller country. Does that yeah. mean that with a close-knit community, uh, all those villages right throughout Uganda, that, that actually makes bringing the gospel easier than if you were spread across a very, very big country.
3: Yeah, in one way or, or the other. But I would say this, that uh, the the people in Africa are hungry for God. There is a hunger for God. So, for example, if if I just put out a little loudspeaker on the street, There will be a hundred people gathering to hear what I have to say. I don't see that in the Western world, but it is so common back home. People are hungry. They want to hear. And and they're asking questions. So what is the hope for my life? And when you share about Jesus, they are ready to embrace him. So I would say there's more hunger in Africa. I pray that the Western world will have the same, but that's what I would say. Now you have talked about People being close together. Yes, people are very close together. And our, our society is very communal. So people connect and relate to each other. So in other words, people are very ready to hear what someone else has to say. Uh, unlike so much in the West where everyone is in their own little house and you, it's, it's not very common for someone to say hi or whatever. But back home, Everyone has to communicate with the next-door neighbour besides we're always close together.
0: Yeah. Uh, Let me talk some more statistics for a moment because, as I say, 500 million Christians in Africa, and uh, when you break that down, that's one in four Christians in the world are in Africa, and that number has doubled in 10 years, and you're describing that it's easier to be able to draw a crowd and uh, therefore we might say easier to plant a church and that might be why there's 700 churches that you've been able to plant because uh, you've had the uh, the accelerator down making that happen. Uh, when you've got that number of people, uh, the challenge, of course, is going to be raising up leaders. Now, let me just take you into some conversations I've been having just recently sure. where the number of converts... Around the world, uh, numbering someone estimates 50,000 converts a day to Christianity. Mm -hmm. And we cannot raise up enough leaders at the pace that is required to keep up with the enormous growth of the church. Mm -hmm. You're the leadership guy in Africa. Uh, You've written a book about leadership, uh, and it's called The the Pastor's Handbook. Uh, You're raising up leaders. Are you able to raise up leaders fast enough for the growth?
3: Not not really. It's very, very difficult, actually, to raise leaders. But this is what we found. Um, And I have to, to compare what we do back home with what you guys do in the Western world. In the Western world, there's so much professionalism. You know, if you're going to lead a church, uh, people are thinking about a seminary degree. Uh, People are thinking about you have to go to Bible college, then to seminary, and then you have to have a master's degree. That is not very possible in a country like mine. First of all, it's very costly, and the schools are very few. So what we do is we try to help people who are, I would say, vocational leaders. Someone is doing his own vocational, vocation. And also, is also doing ministry. So we have uh, multiple programs. One of them, we call it a mobile Bible training program, where someone is actually a, a pastor in the, in the village. He goes to a community and trains for two weeks, then goes back and does his ministry while he's also doing his own personal work. That's one of the programs we have. Then we have weekend programs. Where someone has his own job, he comes on the weekend for training, then he goes and pastors a church. Uh, Then we have a few who are able to go for full-time Bible college, and those are the ones who will go to our university. So I would say by vocational training is the best way to help in a situation
0: where it is so hard to actually prepare a leader (laughs) full-time. Sometimes we get concerned about the viability of the church. Uh, You know, can a church support a pastor and pay them full time? And, of course, that has its own issues here in Australia or across the Western world. As you're describing, you're describing the Apostle Paul method, uh, making tents during the day and preaching Mm -hmm. at night. The tent maker ministry, the way that you get released into ministry. Sometimes people are waiting because someone uh, is applying for a job here or there trying to get paid on the payroll for the church, but. But the people that you're encouraging are not waiting to get on the payroll. They're actually earning a living doing their work or their business, and they're serving God in their spare time. Mm -hmm. You know, that is the best way, and that's the
3: future of the local church. Because, you know, first of all, we come from a very poor country. So that means that on a Sunday morning, the little money that comes through the offering is so little it cannot actually provide for the pastor, let alone support the various ministries in the church. So the best way is for each of our ministers to actually be a volunteer worker. They serve the church, but they do their own work. That's the best way to actually do the church planting that we need all around the world. Uh, and I, I wish that the rest of the world would look at that
0: that way because that will make the the work easier and faster. That's a model that you can uh, you can duplicate. You can say this is the way the apostle Paul described it. This is how it works in practice today in Africa. How does it work in your own community? And there might be listeners who are thinking, how might that work in my community today? Maybe I've got too higher expectation about what sort of viability there needs to be. Maybe that gift that's already within me and those skills that I've gained in the vocation that I've pursued, those things can Help to supercharge my opportunity to serve the Lord in a ministry role. Sure. Let me just bring Stephen into the conversation here because, Stephen, I don't want to leave you out of it. <laughs> uh, you're leading the children's ministry yes. uh, that's happening. And so is is it a real openness that you're finding in the community in Uganda? Children are coming to Christ? Um, uh, I would say that, uh, again, going back to the part that
2: we are working with churches. Africa, your ministry is works through the local church, spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what we're doing with the children, again, through the local church, is to be able to do child sponsorship, take them to school, but also give them skills, but also in addition to that, we do discipleship for them. Um, Yeah, so if you look at that, again, uh, with the rate at which the churches are growing, uh, we start the discipleship early. So it's all still part of the vision of raising leaders for the next generation.
0: You start that discipleship when the children are children. Then they grow in through their teenage years and into adulthood, and it's almost like they're prepared. Mm. You've already begun a generational passing on of the flame, and the church continues to grow because of that. And because... As uh, Peter is saying, there's levels of poverty in Uganda. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got those sorts of programs that care for children and uh, orphans in your community. How extensive is that care program? So um, basically what we're doing
2: there is with the care program that we're doing for the children, we are trying to take them to school, uh, but also we are providing medical care for them. Uh, in addition to the discipleship that we are doing for them. And, Wonderful. And um, God has graced us that we have reached over 30 regions in Uganda. And we're right now taking care of almost close to
0: 6,300 children. Well, Over 6,000 children. Yes. In your care program. Visions 2020 with Neil Johnson. A biblical perspective on life, culture, and current events. 1 800 316 316. If you'd like to join in our conversation today, you might have a special affinity for things that are happening on the continent of Africa. And uh, particularly, we're talking about the nation of Uganda. Two special guests with us in the studio, Peter Kasirivu and Stephen Satimba. And uh Peter, before we move on to some other things, uh, you are going to be speaking at a lot of different places while you're here in Australia, as you say, connecting with uh, people, friends that you've met before uh, this weekend you're in Brisbane and on Sunday you'll be speaking at the church that uh, so many listeners will be will know Matt Prater you'll be speaking at uh, the with the New Hope Church. Uh, that's a 10 a.m. service. But then you're heading south to Tasmania. Give us a little bit of an idea where you think you're going. <laughs> um, Tasmania is a very interesting place. We've been to
3: multiple places in Tasmania. Uh, but we uh, we expect to be actually in, we're going to visit Worldview College, uh, which is uh, found in Mary Now, I can't pronounce many of these Places very well. Uh, We are also going to be um, on Friday. We are going to be in another place. It's called hmm,
0: La That's Actually, we're going to. (laughs) It's probably better if I actually give (laughs) him an idea here because uh, (laughs) when you're, uh, let me just say, the Worldview College uh, is in St Leonard's. Uh, Mary Lou is your contact person. I can see. Uh, <laughs> I can see you're not in charge of actually uh, setting up this. Someone set this agenda up for sure. you, but um, but you're going to be on the north coast of Tasmania too. Mm-hmm. An evening at Scottsdale Combined Church Service. Uh, you're going to be in Launceston. That's right. Uh, you have got a rest day coming up on the third of September. That's you have got a very busy program though. Oh yeah. And did you come to Australia with a particular message? For Australians, or is this something that you know just goes along with uh, when you're teaching on leadership, when you're teaching on what's happening, what's you know the growth of the church, the power of God? How do you how do you describe the sort of message that you'll bring? The message I have, or the message we
3: have with Stephen, is twofold. The first one, we would like to encourage the local church in Australia to embrace who God is. What I've found is that the church is getting colder and colder, more liberal. But we are trying to say to the people, the Lord is still alive. The Lord wants us to be passionate for him. So you'll call that revival. We want God to do some spiritual work in the lives of people. And we will be sharing a lot of our testimonies and stories how God has been moving us through prayer and seeking after God. We use our testimonies of what God is doing. So that's the first part. The second part is to call the church in Australia to partner with us in the things that we are doing in Africa. So it's more of an invitation for the Western church, for the Australian church to come over and join us and walk with us on the big things that God is doing in Africa. Uh,
0: the inspiration for Australians, and uh, you're clearly aware of some of the malaise that is upon us, and we might be referring that to perhaps around the rise of a secularism in Australia. Oh, yeah, and, sure. and so when you talk about this wonderful... Uh, re-firing up of passion Mm -hmm. and it comes by sharing the stories sharing the testimonies of what God is doing in your own homeland and and for people who are coming in uh, from outside just thinking that the church is stagnating in Australia, they must find it hard to believe mm. when they hear that you've planted 700 churches and that you could set up some speakers on the street and 100 people would gather around and they would listen to the preaching of the gospel. This sort of revival conditions is what we would describe it as. Yeah, sure. uh, when you share that, what happens in communities where you've got people who are very secularized? When you're in Australia and you share that, what happens?
3: This is what I've found is that Whenever you start sharing stories and testimonies, there is a way God pricks people's hearts and they desire to get and to see what we say or what we're talking about. They want to experience that. Usually it leads to praying for people. We found God convicting people to make a change in their lives. I have found God actually working in the hearts so of pastors. Because what I found that many pastors are very discouraged. They are not seeing fruit. But when you start sharing the story, because we you have had about the seven hundred plus. Actually our churches now are eight hundred sixteen. Okay. My yeah. my numbers are outdated. That's right. <laughs> it's growing quickly. So, so it's growing so but when you start sharing the story where we came from. Uh, laboring in a very, very hard ground with nothing uh, and, and then starting seeing fruit. Usually it's a very encor- a big encouragement to the pastors, and many times they feel convicted to seek after God, but also to dream bigger and also to trust God for seeing to see fruit in their communities. So it's it, there's something that happens when a story is shared.
0: Those stories of hardship at the beginning, uh, you know, the illustration, the tilling the ground, ploughing the ground, mm-hmm. uh, sowing the seed, uh, waiting then for a crop to grow, and mm-hmm. then eventually reaping a harvest. Uh, that hard work at the beginning, you're seeing the fruit from that now. Right. Uh, we perhaps, how do you perceive us in Australia? Because we might need to get back to. More ploughing and sowing, so that a harvest can be significant for us again into the future. Sure. So I I, I would
3: say this. Uh, may I've I've talked to very many pastors over the years, and I see a, a, a spirit of discouragement, uh, disillusionment, disappointment because of of labouring and not seeing fruit. So what I find is that people shouldn't give up. We we never gave up in our community when we started out. We kept plowing. We kept going after it. One of the things that I, that helped me a lot is to visit other fellow pastors who are seeing fruit and hearing their stories. They kept encouraging us, so we went back and worked harder and trusted more. So that's why hearing our stories got to be very helpful. But also, there's the second part to that. I want to invite many of my fellow pastors to come and see what God is doing. They'll come back charged and excited. So that's why I always invite them to come and labor with us for a few
0: weeks. That will
3: encourage them too.
0: We used to think of Africa as going to the place where we would do the hard work, and uh, the table has turned. Mm-hmm. Uh, now you're saying, come to Africa and get refreshed, That's get inspired, it. see what God is doing, mm-hmm. and take that back into your own community with a new spark of excitement. Sure. Um, You know, when we talk about uh, pastors going to Africa, do you have a program where you can take Australian pastors uh, for a particular tour around what you're doing? Yes, we do, actually. We have uh, one of our friends. He's called Mark Bradshaw. He's
3: here. He's our representative here. One of the things we're working on is to bring ministers from here to come and and have we call it a vision trip actually your your station's called vision (laughs) christian radio vision trip they come and experience what god is doing we do regional conferences we take them to to regions and they minister to 200 300 leaders preaching churches, labor mangasters. So we do that often. I've done that more mostly with American pastors. I want to really start doing this with Australians because we've seen fruit coming out of that. They always go back saying, I believe God can work. If he can
0: work in Africa, he can actually work in my country too. And one of your books is called Your Vision Is Your Future. So if you have a vision that is... Uh, suppressed and uh, depressed, uh, lifeless, uh, your future is likely to be like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you say, if you want to get re fired, uh, mm-hmm. visit Africa, find out what's happening, where one in four Christians in the world is there. Uh, Sub Saharan Africa, 500 million believers, revival conditions, church growing faster than we can raise up enough leaders mm-hmm. to care for. Why don't we take a call from a listener before we move on. Wendy is in Logan in Queensland. Hi, Wendy. Welcome along.
1: Hi. Um, just so excited to hear about the work in Uganda and so encouraged by the um, striving for leadership so leader, to train leaders. Um, my, my questions are, and my statements are, there's a few statements off that, is um, how are you going about um, helping them being the Word and understanding the Word and teaching that to their people and living in holiness, because if we're bought by the blood of Christ, then we'll live to please Him and not ourselves. My reason for saying this is because I see in all sorts of churches, but we've had some problems out here in, in Australia, where people say they're Christians, but... There's people in the congregation still stealing things. And another thing was like there's this uh, church that had a renewal church or something like that and the side of its van, went to a park. It's obviously a church gathering. They had takeaway, all these takeaway things. Because the bins were full, they just left all of the rubbish on the table. I cannot even tell you what a bad witness that was to my relative there who wasn't saved. It was just obvious. Wendy, that these I think you're reflecting really some
0: pretty significant things and recognising that hey, not everyone in church life is uh, attaining a level of holy perfection. Uh, Peter, your thoughts uh, for Wendy here, because uh, yes, there are all sorts of people who are on a learning curve and a maturity journey. Uh, your thoughts for Wendy. Um, the,
3: the responsibility that every shepherd has, every pastor has, is, is to help people find Jesus, but not just stay baby Christians, but to help them get to know who Jesus is, to learn through the Bible. So we call that discipleship. So what I've found is that, uh, very many of us pastors, we, are very good at evangelizing, but we are weak at teaching. So my advice for every Christian who has accepted the Lord is to join a Bible-believing church. That's the first one. But also my encouragement to my fellow pastors is that we need to teach and disciple more than we do anything because people, we all start as baby Christians, we need to grow, and Mm. we grow through the teaching of God's Word.
0: Wendy, you're raising something important here, and I'll hearken back to my earlier conversation with Bill Muhlenberg before this conversation started. And we were talking about conversion and whether conversion actually is the same as self-improvement. And it's an interesting thing here because theologically we understand something very significant, that it's not about how well be- behaved we all might be in the long run, because our belief on Jesus, uh, that's the trigger for God's grace mm. uh, that brings our salvation. And so from that point, when we come to an encounter with Christ, uh, we sometimes we talk about being born again. Uh, mm. Then our life begins to change because we're aligning with a different identity. We're being more like Jesus. Right. Uh, so interesting here. And you pick up on on this sort of thing, Peter, because sometimes the behavior of the people in church, leaves lots to be desired. But there is a growth and a maturity, and uh, towards leadership, you have to work out some of those behavior issues, don't you? Mm -hmm. And those behavior
3: issues, we change through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit of God works through the teaching and the learning of the Word of God. So that's where it all comes from. And then as we surrender to what the Spirit is doing, through the Word, we actually change. We, all, we actually all start as raw materials. We, but then as God works in us, we become more transformed.
0: Uh, it's sometimes called sanctification. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for that call from Wendy. And it really leads us into uh, this thought that uh, while in Africa right now, there are many converts, and we were discussing this just before the news, uh, the thought that in Africa there's 500 million believers right now and it's hard to raise up those leaders at a rate uh, where the leaders are mature enough. So you've got immature leaders leading immature Christians and you've got to change that around. You've got to turn sure. the, the tide here. You've got to actually build discipleship to a leadership level.
3: Hmm. Hmm. Someone once said, I don't know if it's it's said about other countries, but someone said that the church in Africa is a mile wide, and an inch deep. And that's a very common thing. So we have lots, thousands and thousands of converts, but few believers were deep, deeply rooted. So one of our big needs, and we are talking about inviting uh, uh, Australian pastors to visit us. One of the things we want help with is how to help uh Equip our leaders to actually be real disciples so that the church will go deeper instead of being just wide. So, we love the conversion, but we actually
0: need to be deep. So, we need that. Yeah, sure. And you're making your own initiatives here sure. because uh, you've begun a Christian university mm-hmm. uh, serving students uh, not only from Uganda but from 45 different uh, tribes. Uh, And neighbouring nations—Rwanda, Burundi, uh, Congo, Ethiopia, Tanzania, Sudan, Eritrea, and Kenya—people coming from all over to be a part of your university. So, uh, so you've got you've got some great disciples in your university, but you need lots more. Oh,
3: definitely. As you know, there are thousands and thousands we're dealing with. So, uh, I I look at these uh, in different levels. There's the basic. There's the medium. And then there is the higher type of training. So what we are doing at the university is to actually <laughs> train trainers. We are equipping men and women to actually be uh, theologically sound. Uh, they go through, we have a bachelor's program, we have a diploma program, and we have a postgraduate program to help uh, equip these men. And those we equip, we expect them to do more because because they've been, inv- we've invested more with them, we expect more. So we have different levels, but the need is big. And that's why when a pastor comes to visit us, it will not only be just to see the revival and experience the revival, but we'll put them to work to help train and equip the young leaders To become better leaders.
0: Well, let's not leave anything in doubt here. One of the dimensions of your visit to Australia is actually to recruit. People who are equipped disciples mm-hmm. who can come into your situation where you've got these 800 churches. Yes, sir. Uh, you've even got a Christian university, but you need the support that can come from uh, some Aussie equipers to help disciple those believers, so that you don't have this discrepancy. And this is a believer, but boy, their behaviour is bad. Uh, mm-hmm. You've got a you've got to sort of narrow that gap, haven't you? Oh yeah,
3: oh yeah. That's uh, I, I always say. When are you coming? Can you please register? Can you, uh, park your, park your suitcase? We need your help. And, and the opportunities are immense. One is uh, someone can come and teach for a semester in our university. That's one. Two, someone can come on a two weeks, uh, minister's training, uh, kind of trip. That would be wonderful. Of course, whenever they come, we will give them the opportunity to experience the powerful move of God in our country, for sure.
0: And I did uh, check out a few details about Uganda just before our conversation today. And uh, I have heard that it's actually an easy transition through the airports in uh, Kampala. In Tebe. In Tebe. Mm. So it's in Tebe Airport. So it's actually quite easy to, to obviously get a visa. And to come and visit. And uh, so you can be working there in that sense of uh, perhaps mostly, I would say, volunteering your services. Mm-hmm. And so you've got this thought of uh, having a holiday, but turning that into a mission experience. Can you imagine? <laughs> and there might be uh, people who don't see themselves as missionaries, but mm-hmm. they've got these qualifications sure. and an ability to disciple. It's a proven ability. And you'd like to actually introduce people to a mission experience oh
3: definitely
0: you know um
3: you talked about it but uganda is a very interesting country we are um, a, a former british colony just like australia so english is a very uh, common language it's used everywhere so you will not go through a lot of hardship because the language is easy we use english it's a, the official language that's one to uh, to get a visa to uganda is easier than to get an Australian visa. It took us two months. Uganda takes you just two, three days online. And when you arrive there, you know,
0: it's very, very easy and cheap too. Wonderful stuff. Hey, let's just bring Stephen back into the conversation here. So far as children and the children's ministry, is there the same sort of opportunities for people who are skilled children's disciples? Stephen, is that something you'd like to see? Yes, thank you so much. Um, We're we're actually now, with the many churches,
2: again, working with the many churches, the kinds of children we are reaching out to, um, the opportunity to empower the churches to be able to do children's ministry is too big because of the gap and the rate at which uh, the churches are growing. So um, for people who are passionate about um, doing children's ministry, We want to invite them which is also very interesting because our child sponsorship program um, is very unique and its uniqueness is because of the discipleship we're not only doing that we are reaching into families through that we are able to get into different
0: families Now, you mentioned there's more than 6,000 children in your uh, children's uh, sponsorship program, uh, which means there's opportunity there for Australian families to become involved in child sponsorship, uh, to see these children through their early childhood years, through their schooling, uh, even into their careers, to be able to support them along the way. That is
2: very true. And um, again, the opportunity there which exists for um, Australians to be able to come and be part of the Child Sponsorship Program. As you do that, you're helping us to reach out to families so that we can be able to evangelize, to do discipleship, and look at the transformation you can be part of. And there are some Australians, actually, who are already doing that, and we're seeing the blessing of God.
0: Yes. (laughs) Australians involved in African renewal ministries. And I know you saw this of recent times, Peter, when uh, you were going through all of the challenges with COVID and you might like to let us in on just how severe that was in Uganda and what the effects were on the people. Uh, And there were some Aussies connected there with helping you with some, uh, some issues there. But take us back into just how hard it's been these past few years for you. Oh, the
3: lockdown, the, the COVID, COVID pandemic
0: uh, was
3: terrible. It was terrible. We did not lose as many people through COVID, but we had um, lots of starvation. Uh, we almost lost people through starvation. Uh, uh, but I have to thank God for the response of God's people around the world. And many Australians actually came to our aid They supported us financially to be able to feed the many, many people that went through this. You know, during COVID, our country was totally locked down. We were not allowed to even drive. We could not even drive. So we couldn't go to church. We couldn't go to shopping. uh, Schools were all closed. So people in Africa live from hand to mouth. What that means is that what I make today is what I live on. So that became a big problem because if you can't go to work, then you can't eat. So we had to talk to all our friends, including Australians, to come to our aid and people sent money to us. There's an organization we work through here. It's called uh, Global Development Network yes uh, which yes. actually received the resources and that's where also child sponsorship go through so we were able to feed thousands of people to keep them alive until when the nation was opened
0: What is uh, astounding to hear in that story, and while there are lots of Aussies who did it very tough during COVID with some very severe lockdowns in some states more than others, what you're saying is that when people were locked down in Uganda, they were starving and the numbers of people dying of starvation was Rivaling the numbers who were dying of COVID, uh, that's that's pretty disturbing. Even it is,
3: and actually, I would say the 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 COVID pandemic had many issues, but one of them was I think the nations didn't know what was going on, mm. so I would say there was an unfair way of locking down, which didn't consider the fact that if someone doesn't go to work, he can easily die of of, you know, starvation. So that's why we had to come. We had to get permission from the government to be able to distribute the food. Otherwise, people were going to really die, especially children and old people.
0: It was terrible, yeah. and you found that people in your churches were happy to volunteer to be a part of that sort of distribution program. Mm-hmm. In some sense, because of all of the fear that goes with COVID, they were happy to put themselves at risk to be involved in the support for the community. That's something says something of the heart of Christian believers. Of
3: course, yeah, we, we had to mobilize our Christians to do that. We actually served about a quarter of a million people. Yeah, wow. 250,000. So what we would do, we would uh, send a truckload of food to a, a, lo- a church location. And then Christian volunteers would go, pack the food in different bags, and then they would drop the food on people's door doors doorsteps because we didn't know what you're going to get, you know. So you drop the food and then... Go away, you know. Uh, But it was a miraculous way God used to save.
0: Thousands of people, for sure. And so, did your church suffer during that time? If people can't meet for gathering, uh, you know, perhaps small groups or you know online activities that uh, that go on too. Uh, did your church grow, or what? What happens to the character of church when you're under that sort of pressure? It, it was difficult because you know people stopped going to church. For us, the first lockdown
3: was about six months. And then we started. Uh, they started opening us up for, you know, seventy people, and then later on they allowed two hundred people, and then later on it opened, and then they closed again for another four months. <laughs> Same cycle. Uh, people, uh, we we did a lot of online stuff. Uh, we we had to go on radio, uh, weekly radio programs. We had to go on TV uh, in order to be able to serve our people. Two things happened. One. The attendance after opening was very slow, picking up, but then our reach increased because now we are reaching people—radio, on, on TV, on social media. So we multiplied in reaching people, lots of converts. But face to face, a physical meeting uh, struggled a lot. Our finances struggled. We uh, we went down by fifty percent, which is not easy. <laughs> you not run a church, but. We are slowly recovering. It's It's been a slow recovery because people became
0: comfortable having church at home. The face-to-face believers meeting together, belonging together, there's something we will know uh, is very powerful, even a divine uh, glue between mm. uh, the people. Yeah. Uh, there's something that you don't have if you don't get that face-to-face gathering. Has that bounced back? Are people back in that gathering? Or have you still have found it even in Uganda? There's, uh, people have been a little reluctant to g- join being, the large gathering. They've been very reluctant.
3: I would say we are back to around 70% of our people back uh, face-to-face. But the other 30% are still comfortable staying home, which as a, as a pastor, uh, I feel that's not very good. Because, you know, it's very easy to drop off, you know, and it's very easy for for, for people to kind of slowly get lost. We there, Many of them are still connected to the church. They're still sending their, you know, their giving. But that's not enough. We love to see people. We love people, you know, uh, touching other people. Has
0: a way of rejuvenating your spirit. And there is a potential, isn't there, for something like a pandemic to dampen the fires of revival? Oh. And so uh, there's a prayer point there for no matter who you are and where you are listening Mm -hmm. in Australia, if you're praying for Africa, pray for Africa, Mm -hmm. uh, that a full recovery from that uh, will resume those fires of revival. Uh, Almost out of time, Peter, let me ask you, uh, what does the future hold? Uh, You know, here you are in Australia. uh, We've uh, mentioned some of the great motives that you have, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, inspiring pastors, inspiring people here what's the future hold for you in uganda uh, the future for for us as a as a
3: as a as a nation uh, of course our co- economy is gone down so we pray for recovery yeah, yeah. as a ministry we still feel that the call that the lord has given us is to plant more churches plant more churches uh, that's our calling and we will continue to go after that pre- preparing as many leaders as possible to send them out That's our calling, continuing to raise the next generation of leaders. That's our call. And my invitation is for the Australian leaders to come join us as we labour along. And as they do, they will get that touch of fire of revival from the
0: African continent. Thank you. There will be some who will want to write down this website so that you can connect with Pastor Peter It's africarenewal.org. That's right. africarenewal.org. And you'll be able to connect with Pastor Peter and with Pastor Stephen, who's also with us in the studio and uh, shared beautifully uh, things about their children's ministry and child sponsorship. So to connect with Pastor Peter, to become a part of the child sponsorship AfricaRenewal.org. and mentioning those two books too that Pastor Peter has written, The Pastor's Handbook and also Your Vision is Your Future. There's also a website which is a personal website, PK, which is Peter's initials, PKleadership.org Yes, sir. Uh, Peter and Stephen, thank you so much for taking some time to come and share your hearts with us today on 2020.
3: Thank you very much, Neil. We cannot... Uh wait to come back again one of these days.
2: Thank you. We will look forward to it. Thank you, Neil. We have been blessed.
1: Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.